Welcome to the Lems Aware Podcast. We've been waiting for you. My name is Kevin Fryert, and I will be your host. Lambert-Eaton Myasthenic Syndrome, also known as LEMS, is a rare neuromuscular disease that can have a profound effect on a person's mobility and quality of life. LEMS Aware was created to deliver relevant information, resources, and connections to patients and caregivers who may be living with or affected by LEMS. The LEMS Aware podcast lets you hear from people in the LEMS community on topics that matter to you. Welcome back to the LEMS Aware podcast. We are so glad you have returned. If you like the stories you are hearing, please follow and rate the podcast. Lambert-Eaton myasthenic syndrome, or LEMS, affects more than the people who are diagnosed. Like many rare diseases, the patients require a caregiver, and in most cases, this caregiver is a family member. Unlike pediatric diseases, where the parents are the caregivers, LEMS may not be diagnosed until later in life. This means that the caregivers could be a spouse, a committed partner, a sibling, or even one's children. Today we are going to talk to a caregiver named Anthony Patafio. Could you tell us a little bit about yourself, Anthony? Good afternoon. It's a pleasure to meet you. Kev, thank you for having me on. It's um, an honor to be on. I'm 56 years old, born in Brooklyn, New York. Now I live in Staten Island from 13. My mother lives one house away. Actually, out my back window, I can see you. Uh, that aside, me and my wife have been married from 1995. The truth of the matter is, I'm diving into this real fast. When I think of uh, our relationship, <laughs> I don't necessarily always think of me as the caregiver. I have a very strong wife. Sometimes I think she's taking care of me for the most part. Well, we used to call them caretakers. Maybe that's what you are. What, 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 <laughs> I like that analogy. That was right on, Kevin. It's funny because me and my wife met. I was living in an apartment complex, and my wife moved in. And at that time, she was working down on Wall Street. But anyway, I met her, and I said, wow, this is not only pretty girl, this is a smart girl. I said, uh... I'm going to try to hook up with her. Little unbeknownst to me, we ended up getting married from uh, meeting and living right next door to each other. But again, I always come back to uh, my wife being strong and very independent from the first day that I met her. Till today, she's still an independent person. And uh, I think that bodes well for uh, being a Lem's patient and just being a human being. Uh, don't get me wrong, with that being said, I think everybody needs somebody. And the sooner you realize that, probably the better. But at the same time, I've always had strong women in my family that have been independent. And I think that's a great trait too. Wow, that's fantastic. It's so good to hear how, how important it is to you your relationship. And I think that that we're going to learn is an important part of this whole story. So tell me, how did LEMS enter your lives? So LEMS entered our life very discreetly 
on my point of view. But then when I look back, it wasn't that discreet at all. We were walking on a beach in LBI. And LBI happens to be a 16-mile long beach in uh, South New Jersey. And it's a breathtaking beach. Just to go to that point, my wife was the one that said, let's go down there. So we're down there, we're walking on the beach, we're having a great day, and I notice she starts bumping into me. And I uh, asked her, I said, Christina, you're bumping into me. Do you realize you're bumping into me? And she said, yeah, today I feel a little bit wobbly. And I thought nothing of it. It was a gorgeous day out. The water looked beautiful. Uh, the sand was beautiful. So I said, ah, you may just be a little bit tired. You're always working hard with the real estate and taking care of the family. You may be just a little bit tired. What's for dinner was like my next response. Uh, so then we go back to the house and I notice she takes a nap, which my wife never does and I love doing. So she takes like a two to three hour deep, deep nap. And still, I'm not thinking anything of it. As a matter of fact, I'm thinking about a concrete pour that I have the next day. Because I know I got to leave 3 o'clock in the morning to get to the city for a 7 o'clock pour. Because that's just the way it is. So I'm not thinking nothing about this 3-hour nap that she just took. She gets up. She makes a great dinner. We eat. We have a few laughs that night. I go to bed early. I get up. I go to work. Next thing I know, she calls me. She says, uh, I'm having a hard time making the drive home. I don't feel that great again. So now I'm at work, and I tell her, okay, keep me posted. Let me know what's going on. At that point in time, she starts going to uh, urgent cares. And uh, she starts, because she's an independent woman, kind of diagnosing her herself what's transpiring because now at this point in time her taste is funny her vision is funny and her speech is funny but when I'm speaking to her she still sounded pretty good but in retrospect this is what we were hearing from other people so she goes to an urgent care and they tell her uh, you know what I think this is a little something more than just a common cold or whatnot go check into the hospital. So she checks into the hospital, and uh, now I go with her. We get into the hospital, and right away, I noticed they're watching her eyes because a lot of LEMS is diagnosed, and all diseases, but definitely LEMS could be diagnosed with the eyes, at least when when it concerns my wife specifically, but I would think even more people. Her eye, when it would go to the left, would then click back to the right. And now that's not a great description because we're going back many years now. There's a heaviness that comes in the eyes that you can't miss. Now, my wife is a big sunglass wearer and also a big eyeglass wearer. So... I don't really see her eyes as much as I would like to, but if you make somebody take off their eyeglasses and you look into their eyes, there's a definitive heaviness that you see, and you can't miss it. And the reason I'm saying this is because after they check her out of that initial hospital, because even though they had an idea that something serious was transpiring, 
They couldn't wait to get my wife out of there. So they tell her, go home. We take her home, and now I really notice things are changing for the worse. Now I see the speech impediment. Now I see the fact that her vision is really going. Mostly, I see her motor skills are going. And it was happening, I'm not going to say rapidly, but it was happening definitively. So... I seen she was just having a hard time walking. So now at that point, we go up to Mount Sinai Hospital because I have a nephew that's a cardiologist up there. And he says, get your wife over here. Let's see what's going on. And we were very lucky because we walk into Mount Sinai and there's a team of neurologists waiting for us. And right away they start diagnosing her. And that's when... This head neurologist, I forgot the name because it's many years ago, uh, took the lead, and it was a woman, which didn't surprise me, and she told me, what's the matter with you? Haven't you looked in your, uh, your wife's eyes recently? I said, no, and she makes my wife take off her eyeglasses, and that's when we see the heaviness, that real, real heaviness that you can't miss. And again, there's about at least... A handful of neurologists there, probably more. I mean, they had a team waiting for us. But this was a holiday weekend. They tell us, you got to go home still because we really don't think there's anything we could do at this point in time. So go home, keep an eye on it, make an appointment, and then come back. So I couldn't believe that. But we went home. Now we're laying next to each other on the couch because I can't even get her up the stairs because I got a lot of stairs in my house. It's three levels. So you walk in, you got two levels of stairs to go up to get to the bedroom. It wasn't going to happen. I said, Christina, let's just lay down on the couch. We laid down on the couch and now pretty much we're in an intense mode at that point because there's a lot of feeling of uh, lost we, we felt lost, for lack of a better word. We weren't getting any definitive answers at this point in time. But right in front of me, she started melting away. That's a pretty good description. I felt like I was losing her slowly. So now, I call my nephew, and I say, things are progressing. Uh, not progressing, things are regressing. We're moving backwards. I said, I don't like what I see what's going on here. He goes, come on back in. We go back in. They check her in. We're in the hospital moving forward for a month. And this is an excellent hospital. And we're getting excellent treatment. And I mean that from the porters all the ways up to the head neurologist, head cancer doctors, head muscular sclerosis doctors, sorry I mispronounced that. We had a team of doctors from every field that was trying to figure out what was ha happening here. And they were doing a battery of tests, taking blood, sending blood out to uh, Mayo Clinic. They did that numerous times. Checking out her uh, reflexes. They did that a few times. Steroids, 5,000 grams. IVIG, a few times. 
Then they actually did something that's called neurophoresis, which actually, in my humble opinion, helped definitively. And that's when they take the blood out of you and put new blood in you. And that seemed to actually give her a real boost of life. But remember, this is probably a few weeks into being in Mount Sinai, moving backwards before we started to move forwards. It was definitely not something that was diagnosed right away. They had a lot of ideas right away. And some of them, again, were they thought maybe there was a cancer attacking her. And we actually went for tests in the years since being diagnosed with LEMS every six months and then once a year. And thank God cancer never showed up. So, so I want to go back to when you, you said you were feeling lost when you, when you were laying there on the couch and you, were, you, you didn't know what was going on. You didn't have any answers. You had just been told all we can do is send you home. Now you went on this downhill slide. What were the feelings that the two of you were going through as you were watching that happen? Despair is definitely, I would say, an accurate word. Strong, strong wave of emotions. I mean powerful emotions. My wife was fighting for her life at that point in time. And me as a husband, I felt helpless. And the range of emotions was so strong and powerful that you know you have to do something, but you know you're way in over your head. That you need professionals that could do a diagnosis, prognosis, and you also got to keep the faith. You got to try to keep your chin up while this is happening, but that is not an easy thing to do at that point in time. Because you're, I mean, me personally, I'm an emotional guy, and sometimes my emotions are good for me, sometimes they're bad for me. So I'm not going to say it's always a good, because it's definitely not. As, as good as I could be feeling at certain times, I could go in the opposite direction. Sometimes... I'm a piece of work sometimes, uh, in a good way and then sometimes in a bad way. I have to be very honest when I'm talking to you about this. So again, here I am. I'm an emotional guy. Sometimes I could keep my emotions in check. Sometimes I can't. I see my wife is losing all of her mobility, her speech, and her vision. I think there's a good possibility that she may pass away on me, but I'm not telling her this. I'm saying I'm hugging her with everything that I got. I'm praying, and I'm hoping that uh, Mount, you know, I could get it back into a good hospital that, and they could go on attack mode. And that's really the truth. So I had an overwhelming feeling of despair. In Lance Armstrong's book, It's Not About the Bike, he talks about a cancer patient being at the center of everything happening, but the hardest part for the patient is to understand what the people around them are going through. And you're telling us it's not cancer, but but you're telling us about what it's like to be out of control and outside of what your wife was dealing with, what Christina was doing. She was fighting and you you weren't, right? You, I mean, you were, but you, you didn't know what to do. And it just rings true that that person at the center does need to take care of the person around them. Yes, I have to... Uh... You know, at that point in time, she needed help. 
Now, my wife, again, is by far one of the most independent people I know. That's her nature. She was working as a young person, and she still works extremely very hard and diligently, probably too hard for her own good. But at that point in time, the disease was so debilitating that I could honestly say they need a lot of help at that point in time. And that's all they do need is help and reassurance and love and commitment. And not only did my wife get that from me, she got that from the family too. So that was a big, big factor. But again, that's not my wife. Uh, she's. This is a debilitating disease at certain point in time, especially if it's not being diagnosed properly. There's nothing fun about this disease. I mean, a disease that could attack your eyes, your mobility, your speech. The only thing my wife didn't have was her vitals were strong as could be the whole time. So that was something that always told me, okay, if her vitals are strong, maybe we could get to the bottom of this and turn this whole thing around. Because her vitals, and she never had pain which was another blessing. So these were two huge blessings that she had throughout this downhill spiral. And it was a downhill spiral. But her vitals were always good, so that always gave us a lot of hope. And the fact that she never had any pain was also incredible. Because we all know pain is debilitating. Now, the fact that she couldn't walk talk and see that was a fact that I mean all three of those things were hitting at the same time and that's scary and so you still didn't have a diagnosis how did they get to the diagnosis okay I'm going to apologize right off the rip because it was a lot of years ago and so much was happening at that time because there were so many in doctors, doctors involved and I don't have the literature in front of me, which uh, I apologize for, but from doing these blood tests and sending them to the Mayo Clinic, and the blood work put us on the right track. But still at that point in time, there was a lot of confusion. And the confusion lasted a lot of times because the LEMS and some of these other uh, debilitating diseases have very similar characteristics. So it's like... I'm going to use a metaphor here, but I'm serious when I say this. It's like if you're in the back of your house and you're in your garden and you have a flower that's coming up. Sometimes the weed will present itself so close to that flower that you'll have a hard time detecting the weed from the flower until you get right up there and look really closely. And that's what these diseases do, in my humble opinion. They hide and they're elusive and... They, they don't want you to figure out what they are. But there are people out there that can. And they're geniuses and they're great caregivers. So we had that. And, and that's a big deal. you got to have people advocating for you. And we had that in a big way. I knew I was in over my head, but I was smart enough to take my wife to the best hospital that I could go to. So again, I wasn't overthinking it. I said, what's the best hospital? Boom. We had an advocate there. We went there. So if, if anybody could take any advice out of that, it's to go to where you're going to get help 
and where they're going to be behind you because you need a team here to fight this disease. And what hospital did you go we to? We went to Mount Sinai in Manhattan, and they did a phenomenal job. And a lot of the reason, you know, it's just, they just wholeheartedly fight. My wife, again, started advocating for herself, to be perfectly honest. So now I'm taking her up to Mount Sinai to see the, the MS specialist. But again, LEMS is not MS. They're different. So they're telling my wife, and they're not saying it in a bad way, but they're telling her that she's doing as good as she could be doing. And my wife did not accept that answer. And that was the short of it. But my wife looked me in the eye and she said, I got to try to find more help. I could do better than what I'm doing. And I said, okay, let's do it. So we were connected to Penn University and there was a specialist there that specializes in dealing with LEMS itself and actually has multiple patients that, that has LEMS. So we went out there and again, initially uh, they weren't sure if she had it, but again, they made her did it, do a test for her reflexes and that's when it came back as a true hit if I'm remembering it right. And at that point, my wife was at least satisfied in knowing that, okay, I'm in the right hands. These people know what I'm dealing with and they know how to deal with it. And how did it impact you guys? Having the diagnosis, getting that relief that you're in the, the right place, how did that impact you emotionally and mentally? So... Because my wife believed this is what she always had from the beginning, from doing her own research and also from the blood work coming back and saying that this, there was a high possibility that it was in fact LEMS, she felt an enormous relief that finally she got the right diagnosis and people were agreeing with her that yes, you do have LEMS and yes, you can do better. So right there, we went on attack mode again. And she started to fight even stronger. At this point, she's taking uh, a lot of steroids. And we're looking for alternatives. You know, what's going to get her to the next level of health? So now, at that point, There's a medicine that the head doctor at Penn University says could possibly help Christina. And they ask us if we want to try it. So obviously, we're at a stage where Christina's still not walking great at this point in time. But she is walking. I mean, every day she's getting up and she's trying her best. Every day. So we take this medicine and we notice that right away it's helping and it's giving her the strength to actually walk not you know and maybe even do more than walking uh maybe take a long walk you know not just a short walk now maybe we could take a long walk maybe we could do uh 
a mile walk. And maybe a month from now, the mile walk could turn into a two-mile walk. This was our mindset. Now we got a decent medicine in us. Now we're going to go on attack mode. And really, that's what happened. She's walking three miles. Uh, she's bike riding. Sometimes we would even get carried away. I, so there would be a setback. We try to do too much too fast. Like she went on a, an elliptical bike, which I would have preferred if she would have swam, but she don't want to swim. Or if she would have, uh, you know, maybe just jumped rope or at least tried it. But, but I think she can personally. But she's seen an elliptical bike and she goes, oh, I want to do that. So I'm going to give you the good and the bad. So at first I was like, ah, I don't know if this is a good idea. This, this looks like there's a lot to it. And I knew she was doing phenomenal at bike riding. So she goes, nah, I think I could do this. So, okay, she talks me into it. We go look at the ellipticals. They look mint. Now I get excited. <laughs> I'm not even thinking about her. I'm not going to lie. I jump on one of these things and I try it. And I'm like, wow, this freaking thing is a lot of fun. Again, as the caregiver, I'm supposed to be focusing on her. But the truth of the matter is now I'm having so much fun riding this thing that I take it around the block for a ride. And this was her idea a thousand percent. It was the last thing I was thinking about doing. I didn't think it was a good idea. But here I am. I got emotional. I jumped on the elliptical. I had It was a blast. So now she goes to get on it. And I'm keeping a close eye on her. And she does a nice little ride on it. I said, okay, you're doing good. I said, you know, I said, uh, this was a great idea. I love it. I got to listen to you more often. <laughs> so she did good initially on it. But we have to run to do something at the house for some reason. I forget, I think I... Uh, a piece of the house blew off with wind and I had these guys coming to fix it. So we run away and then we go back to get back on it. Now, I jump on it. She gets on it. And the guy who's actually telling us how to do it says, okay, go. We don't move two feet and she lands like a rock. Hard. I hear it. I hear a scream. Boom, I turn around, and she's sprawled out on the floor hard. I think she's dead. That's how hard she, she that's how it looks. I mean, she's sprawled out on all fours, and uh, she ain't moving. I run over to her. I said, whoa, what did I do here? I said, okay, you alive? She goes, yeah, I'm all right. She, she looks up at me. She's shaking really bad. I said, okay, we got to get up. Now at this point, in for a penny, in for a pound. Now I got to go hard on her. Not hard on her. I got to be emotional. I got to be soft with her. But at the same time, I can't let her feel sorry for herself. I got to get her up. So we, I, got, I get down. I get her up. I, uh, I clean the blood off her. And I tell her, listen, it happens. This is, you know, you're on an elliptical. Anybody could fool. You want to go back on it? She looks at me like I'm a nut. But I'm thinking that old analogy, you got to get back on the horse if the horse throws you. But the little do I know, she's got a broken arm. 
So she goes, no way I want to get back on that. She goes, I'm in pain. You got to take me to the doctor. I said, okay. I know she's a strong woman. So I take her to the doctor. Sure enough, she's got a broken shoulder. So now I take her back to the house. And we're a little depressed because it's the early uh, early season in the summer. And we're thinking the whole summer shot. But I said, you know what? You'll come back strong again. This is just your personality. I mean, the fact that you wanted to do the, lip, the elliptical, and I thought it was a bad idea, and you talked me into it, uh, and then I got more excited than you when I seen it, and then I was pushing you to do it, because the truth of the matter is I got so excited when I jumped on it, and I still think till today she could do it, but she doesn't want to do it anymore. Not that I wanted to do it, because first thing I would do is I wanted to start walking and then speed walking and then maybe do a slight jog you know a slow jog then jump rope everything's got to come in steps i believe in small steps but my wife is bike riding like a champ she walks like a champ she still doesn't swim i'm still trying to convince her to swim which i think is the best exercise of all but that's a whole nother story maybe next time i'm on that she's swimming Well, it's great to hear that that you've turned it around. You were down in a low spot. You found something that gave you some hope, and you started fighting. And now all those exercise things, I mean, yeah, getting hurt on elliptical. Anybody who tries those things probably is going to fall off at some point. But that's a real that's a real push from not being able to walk up the stairs to doing something like that. So that's fantastic to hear. So I just have a couple questions, you know. This is a tough journey. It's at least five years long for you guys. What do you think in your life prepared you to be able to be such a great partner with your wife in this journey? Well, at this point, and Kevin, you know, this is the second time I'm speaking to you. I got a lot of respect for you. But I have to be honest here. I am a good partner, but I'm far from a perfect partner. I have a lot of faults. And the only reason why I'm saying this is because relationships, especially a relationship with me, I'm, I'm an up and down person, and I never want to lie to anybody that I speak to about this. There's some days I'm a very good husband. There's some days I'm a very bad husband. And that's not intentional. It's just because I'm human and I have probably my own inhibitions that I deal with a lot. So when it comes to the rock and the family, and I want everybody to notice that we're speaking to, the caregiver is important. But the most important person is the person with limbs. You never have to lose faith. And I'm saying this sincerely because... You are the person with the disease, and it's your faith, and it's your courage that's ultimately going to get you through this. And I'm going to tell you something. Yeah, I helped my wife. Yeah, I pushed my wife. But if I passed away today, my wife would keep moving forward. And I'm being serious with you, and I want you to all know that about yourselves. Your caregiver is important. And I'm, I'm going off on a little tangent here. But I'm only being sincere because me and my wife, my wife will tell you I'm not perfect and I'm not trying to portray myself perfect here. 
Believe in yourself. If you have a good caregiver, that's even better. And God bless you if you got a good caregiver. But guess what? If you don't have a good caregiver, you become your own caregiver because you could do it. I seen my wife do it, and I meant every word that I'm saying to you, and I'm saying it from the bottom of my heart. Do it for yourself because you have one life to live, and that's the one thing I learn from my wife every day. She is never going to give in to this disease. And there's no reason why anybody listening to this podcast should ever give in to this disease. There's ways to combat it and fight it. And it's easy for me to say because I don't have this disease. But I see my wife never gives in. And I want you to gain strength from her. Because she's there for you and so am I. I just want to thank you for sharing your story, Anthony. Um, It's fantastic to hear about your relationship and the honesty to say it's not perfect because those are the best relationships when it's a little imperfect and you and you can be honest about that we truly hope that you are enjoying and learning from our conversations with people from the lems community on the lems aware podcast if you are we encourage you to follow and rate the show on your favorite podcast outlet and check out the other resources on the lemsaware.com website we look forward to being with you again soon on the Lems Aware Podcast. Thank you for listening to the Lems Aware Podcast. You can learn more about Lambert Eaton Myasthenic Syndrome and how to get involved in the Lems community at www.lemsaware.com. Lems Aware, turning Lems knowledge into strength. The Lems Aware Podcast is produced by Salem Oaks, empowering patients to shape the future of medicine.